Hi, I'm Steve Payne. I'm a musician and I live in Wales on the English-Welsh border. And I'm a frequent visitor to Canada, friends, family and various connections. And you're listening to Talking Blues, of course, silly me. Welcome back. It's been a while yeah, since I've seen you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. How long has it been? Um, I'm thinking 12 years. 12? My God. I, was, I must have been like 20 years old then. I think you were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, happy days. If only. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, I want to begin by asking you how you first got into music. Uh, well, I don't know. I got into music because I liked listening to it and I wanted to play because I, there was a band at the end of my street. They were called Jason and the, Jason and the Argonauts. And they used to practice in a garage or garage, as we say in Liverpool. Can I ask how old you were at this uh, point? 10, 11. And uh, there was a band in Britain called The Shadows, um, a guitar band. And my the, the guys at the lo- the local guys at the end of the street used to do a lot of the shadows stuff and old Dwayne Eddy stuff and me and a couple of pals used to sit outside and listen to it and then peer through the window and look longing longingly at this guy's lovely red, I guess it was a Fender Strat, you know, and then we noticed that there were girls inside and I thought well that'd be quite a good thing too, you know, so. Um, as soon as and then I, you know, I got I got obsessed with guitars. Just sit at school drawing guitars on bits of paper, and uh, that was where it all started. I think that the the music disease that's not a disease, is it? But the music sort of obsession, which is sort of I'm not as obsessed with it now as I used to be, but I was then, and uh, I think the worst is over. Um. So was it, was the goal to become a lead guitar player? No, not really. Just a a guitar player. Um, the, the I mean, I want I wanted to be the guy with the long hair and the tight pants, and you know, and uh, it was all an image thing. You know, I wasn't I I wasn't obsessed with the sound as much as the image. Uh, the only problem with that was when I saw myself playing. You know, which I did much later I, I looked like a complete nerd so it didn't work out at all <laughs> you know I made all these weird funny faces and uh you know I didn't I didn't in my head I was the guy doing you know with the tight pants and strutting away with the guitar you know you know around his kind of crotch area you know and and thrusting at the microphone and I, I when I actually saw myself I looked quite like an awkward little boy with this guitar too high up and making all these like, you know, faces, you know, like these weird faces, guitar faces, you know, <laughs> which weren't good at all, you know. So it didn't work out for that. So um, I started getting into more, um, you know, sitting down and playing and thinking about what I was doing rather than, you know, how I was looking. How, so, okay, when did you realize that? Uh, that in my teens, I suppose. Um, and then I really did get into sort of playing the guitar. So I used to go to the folk clubs and listen to all the folk acoustic musicians. Yeah, because I think of you as a singer-songwriter. I am and a, a decent guitar player, but 
in the yeah. time that I've known you, that's probably what I've seen you most at. Yeah. But I know that you're a very credible electric guitar player. Yeah, well, I, that was what I was known for, you know, originally as a as a, uh, a fancy electric guitar player. But um, I graduated, or if you can call it graduated, I, I morphed into a an acoustic player. I still play electric, of course. You know, I've got a nice old vintage Telecaster at home. I like to play slide on that a lot. I, I still work with people in the UK that want me to play electric, and I do the odd electric session. But when I go out solo, I don't play electric because there aren't many solo electric players. Right. You know, apart from Billy Bragg, you know, or I don't know who else. Um, so I play acoustic and I do my, I play my songs. You know, that's basically it. So when did you decide that you wanted to pursue music as a career? Oh, I, I always wanted to do that. I mean, it didn't happen for a long time. Um and I fought against people who thought I was just, you know, not doing this right or not doing that right. He didn't look right either, you know, because I looked like a nerd playing the guitar. <laughs> uh, uh, so, you know, it hasn't been an easy thing. Um, I guess in my 20s, I was, um, I was quite obsessed with, you know, can I make a living out of music? And I found out pretty soon that it was really hard to do um, unless you got to a place where you were happy with what you were doing and happy where you were playing places venues etc which were few and far between then and it got a little bit better but now I seem to be disappearing again sadly whereabouts were you trying to establish yourself musically like where in Eng it was in England or Wales Oh, in England. Um, I lived in Bristol, which is southwest. And I used to go to the folk clubs and watch people play. Um, and then I ended, I, uh, I got to be a MC of a folk club. So I would introduce the acts. And uh, choose who was going to go up and play. Because people used, would turn up with their guitars and banjos or whatever and want to play like three songs during the evening. They'd always have a, you'd have a guest artist. Right. And then you'd have people coming in and saying, oh, I've just written this song or I want to play this Bob Dylan song. Can I play? And you go, okay, you can do two songs and you can do three songs after him. And so occasionally I put myself on, you know, and bore the pants off everybody by doing like the 25-minute version of Bob Dylan's Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll or something. Some crap like that. No, it wasn't crap at all. It's a great song, but you know, but I was so intense about it all. Um, and so, and from then, I um, I met a, um, a lady that was signed to DJM Records, Dick James, uh, DJM Records, Dick James Music. Dick James was at one time the Beatles publisher, mm. um, and was also Elton John's first label, I believe, and quite a lot of blues guys. Um, and she was signed to DJM and she needed a guitar player to go on tour uh, with Loudon Wainwright III, Ruf Rufus Wainwright's dad. Right. Great singer, songwriter. Yes, indeed. And so uh, 
I got the gig. She said, do you want to do it? And I went, yeah, you know, when do we, what do we do? And so she said, well, we'll work these songs out. Uh, I went to the studio and I, I, rec- I played guitar on her album, which is called Fancy That, uh, on DJM Records, folks, if you want to go get it. Um, uh, Dave Mattox played drums. Dave Mattox was uh, with um, Paul McCartney's Wings wow. band. Um, Gary Taylor from Frampton's, Peter Frampton's band. Uh, who else was on it? I was on it. Um, uh, Gary... Yeah, a lot of good, really good players. So you must have been good. Well, I suppose the, the 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 record producer thought I was worthy of being on the on the album. Did you? What did you think of your playing at that point? I thought it was okay, and listening back to it now, I think it's probably you know not that good. Um, <laughs> but that's only because I'm better than I was, right? You know, if and I was, you would be. If I was doing it now, I would have done it different. But they thought it was good enough to put on the album, and out the album came out. And the the actual there was a song in there called. Um, Valentino, which I played some kind of um, pseudo Spanish uh, guitar uh, uh, um, over the uh, over the chorus and verse in the background, etc., etc. And um, I think that became a single and got you know somewhere in the charts. I don't know what where it went. It's probably number twenty three in Azerbaijan or somewhere like that, you know. Uh, but um, yeah, so I was on that album, and then uh, you know it kind of it morphed. I just went on from there, really. Can I ask what you thought about where you would be based on that album? Did you think that this album would change your life? Did you think this would just be another recording? Like, how did you perceive that album? I, well, I didn't. I didn't think it'd be another record, just another recording, because I hadn't done that many. Um, but I thought, yeah, here we are. We've we've arrived. I mean, the guy that produced the album was the same guy that produced. Jerry Rafferty's um, Night Owl album, which Baker Street, right. etc. I, I think the guy was called Daddy, uh, some um, Hugh Murphy. I think his name is. I can't remember. You figure it out. Um, so I thought, yeah, here we go. You know, and, but of course, it's not as easy as that. You know, when you finish one project, then you've got to find another one. So I went back into the clubs and just started touring folk clubs, basically. Um, this is as a solo singer-songwriter? Singer-songwriter, yeah. Okay. And then uh, in the folk clubs morphed, they, you know, there was a changeover to, or an integration of blues into folk. You know, if you went to, a, say, the Cambridge Folk Festival, which is a very big folk festival in the UK, they'd have a blues guy, you know, playing. And so blues guys used to play in the folk clubs. You know, it wasn't just finger in your ear, traditional folk man on the failing boats in 1803 you know and all that stuff mm-hmm. so there'd be like some guy doing you know big bill brunsy stuff or something and i thought oh this is cool so i started playing that as well so and, you should tell me what you were playing before that well i was playing a contemporary folk i suppose i was writing songs that were in the sort of donovan bob dylan that sort of you know that sort of thing and uh yeah so i started playing you know a few blues clicks and robert johnson and all the rest of it and people go oh steve payne is a blues player well i'm not a blues player you know i can play it but i can't you know i wouldn't describe myself as a blues guitar player in the, in any with any stretch you know it's not a 
not a thing I really aspired to either. It just sort of happened that I became okay at playing the blues. And um, then I had, a, that I've, I had a couple of bands. I was in a band called the Parole Brothers, which was a boogie-woogie piano band. That, that was kind of bluesy. And another band, which, of course, had to be called the Painkillers, right? Of course. Yeah, of course, you know, obviously. And that was more sort of heavy rock thing. But it was still bluesy. So I got, I got labelled as a blues guy, but I'm not really a blues guy. I like the blues, but not totally. I couldn't go through life playing just the blues, you know. I mean, you can't go through life just eating one thing, can you? Right. You know? Um, so musically, where did you hope to be? Be, like what was the goal at that point oh just to keep playing and earn some money and keep playing mainly in the uk or did you have other goals well i you know any i was open to everything you know i mean when we, when we toured um you know we went to finland and sweden and germany and france and holland and northern ireland you know um and, and southern ireland and yeah, and uh, then I ended up coming to Canada because my mother and my brother and my sister had emigrated to Canada. Uh, family split up, and I st- stayed with my father and my two brothers, my, my brother and sister, my older brother and older brother elder sister, moved to Canada. They had jobs here. They, were, they had a gig in Canada. And my mum came over at their request. Uh, I, I wasn't really invited, I don't think. <laughs> I, um, uh, phew, I said, now, where, where are we going now? This is a long, long story. I was playing at Glastonbury Festival. You, you know Glastonbury? Yeah, yeah. I was playing at Glastonbury Festival. And uh, I met a lady who was a backing singer for a, a, another lady. And the, this, this lady was called Maria Muldaur. And she... Do you know? Yes, of course. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so I ended up having uh, um, a relationship with this backing singer from Maria. Um, and I, at her bequest, I moved to uh, Los Angeles or, or went to visit on a long extended visit to her, to Van Nuys, California. And, uh, after a while, I've been down there for a while, and um, various things happened, which I won't go into. But um, but are you able to work down there musically? I was, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was sponsored by somebody or other. Um, in the, I, I, I ended up the relationship ended, and then I thought, what am I going to do? So I came up. My mother was living in Toronto, so I came caught caught a plane to Toronto. And went to stay with my mum, and she said, "Oh, you should go and see your sister. She's in Windsor." And I went down to Windsor, um, and there was a blues bar across the street on Tecumseh Road. Um, and I, I went over to the blues bar and sat at the bar. And some guy comes up to me and he goes, "So what do you do?" And I went, "Oh, I'm a musician." He went, "Well, he said, we've got an open mic night, you know, uh, like a jam night, you know." I said, "He said you want to play?" I went, "No, not really." <laughs> I didn't have an instrument with me, and I was a tiny bit sort of. Uh, well, I was tired of doing it for for a little while, but uh, come the jam night, I, I went back to the bar and sat at the bar, and a guy came. He was a big guy. He was like six foot five, 
huge guy. So I didn't like to turn him down, you know. <laughs> he was too big to say no to. He goes, so uh, where are you from? And I went, England. And he went, okay. So he gets on the, he's a drummer and he, he gets on the stage and um, they're all playing away doing, you know, that usual stuff. And he goes, uh, so now we got a guest up there at the bar. It's, uh, his name's Steve. He's from Poland. Come on. <laughs> this is Steve from Poland. And I went, no, I'm not from Poland. <laughs> Give that guy a guitar. So the guy gives me a guitar. And I, I went, ding, 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 ding. and they all went, Jesus, what's going on here? This guy can play. So that's how that started. And I ended up uh, at this bar. And the, the lady that ran the bar said, would you like to come back at the weekend and do a gig? And I went, really? She went, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll pay you such, such and such an amount of money. And I went, okay, I'll do it, you know. And I ended up playing at this bar. It must have been for about two years on and off. The various people coming in and coming out and so okay yeah. so this is steve the folk singer yeah tell me about writing songs how did that come about um well i, did, I don't know how did it come about i don't know if it came about i mean i just thought i might i should write a couple of songs that's what everybody's doing <laughs> so i just had to go at it um and uh yeah i just started writing some songs songs were good some songs were you know, some were crap, some were good. Um, but I wasn't very prolific. I'm still not, you know, like one a year maybe or two a year. But I take time over them, you know. I sort of, you know, I you know, agonize over, is it that that word shouldn't be there or that verse is too long or, you know, that bit should turn around or something like that. So I, I in the end something you know metamorphosizes and, and becomes a big thing but I think because of that I think they endure my songs don't seem to sort of people don't listen to them and go oh that sounds like it's you wrote, you wrote that in the 60s you know it doesn't sound like that I don't think so anyway does does it come to you like do, are you ever just driving down the street and music sometimes out? yeah not so much now I used to quite a lot you know uh but I don't actually listen to a lot of music now, to be honest. If I'm in the car and I'm driving, uh, you know, I like to listen to talk radio and news programs, especially when you know people have fallen out of the sky and all that kind of stuff. That's quite that's quite funny shit, isn't it? Really, yeah. You know, well, uh, not for him, but no, you know. Anyway, um, we don't we don't get, get, want to talk about that. But I always remember you telling me that you have this condition. I don't know if it's called a condition, but you see colors with music. Yeah, yeah, I do. Synthesia is that what it's called? I don't know what it's called, but I have. I mean, I, I always thought it was normal. You Can know, you just you explain s- that to me? No, I can't. <laughs> I can't explain it. Um, but tell me what happens. Like, well, well, if I listen to something, I see a color. Uh, I see a note, and I see a color. And it's it's not it's not always um, the same note. But it's a, it's a, it, it can be a note or part of a note, you know, and it'll change color. Like I think, oh, that's yellow. But I don't, I don't think to myself, that's yellow. I just see it. Say, if I'm listening to something that's uh, like a heavy rock thing, I don't know, Bon or Bon Jovi. I, that's kind of a, a purplish kind of red color. But if I'm listening to, I don't know. Uh, Either Cassidy or something that's more of a sort of bright yellowy color. So it's not know. like colors change with different notes. They do, they do during the song. 
Right. But it's, there's always an overall tinge, tint to it. Uh, and I, I don't concentrate on the colours, of course, because I'm listening. But in my head, I, you know, it's, yeah, it's always in the background. And does it ever influence how you write or what you no. write? No, not really. No, it doesn't influence me. Uh, I can tell if it's, you know, if, if it's too depressing. If it's depressing, it's obviously black or, you know, mm -hmm. something goes, uh, you know, it's like something's not right in the song, you know, or some guy's dying or something like that, you know. It's like a, it's a dark color. Uh, I don't really, I don't mind dark colors, but, you know, you don't want to spend all your life in the dark, do you? You need a bit of brightness. But when you write, yeah. does that, do you see colors when you're writing a song? Not when I'm writing them, no. When I've finished writing them, when I've finished writing the song and I play it back, then um, incidentally I see colors. I don't see them. In the, in the back of my mind's eye, I can see them. I'm not concentrating. I think they're not in front of me, you know, and I don't concentrate on, oh, that's a pink or that's a blue or that's a green. But if I reel the song back, I know what colors they are. And it would be the same every time you listen to them, even if you might be in a different mood the next day. Yeah, oh, so, yeah, same, yeah. Uh, the only difference being that if I, I never play the same song twice, you know, the same right so sometimes i might get a bit of blue where there should be a green i find that fascinating really yeah i thought everybody knew i thought a lot of people did that you know colors i used to have a a, a friend that could smell colors <laughs> see pregnant pause there yes <laughs> or and could feel colors you know you put a color like a colored piece of colored paper in your hand and close it And he'd be out of the room and he'd be come in and put his hand on top and rub it and go, oh, that's red. And it opened up and it was 100% you knew what that color was. I don't even know what that is. I don't know what that is either. <laughs> that's magic, Marco. <laughs> magic. So that's how you started your annual, maybe not annual, but your regular tours in Canada? Yeah. Canusa Bar on Tecumseh Road in Windsor. And then I got invited to play different places. And um, so so I did that. And um, people say, oh, you should go to Toronto and play, you know. And I played at every, played a lot of places in Toronto, you know. I've been studiously ignored by the mass Canadian <laughs> public for over 30 years. They've done a fantastic job of ignoring me. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, and yet you keep coming back. Remark well, like I say, I've got family here. Yeah, and my daughter is um, just graduate. She's just passed the bar in. Uh, wow. In uh, she was at Metropolitan. What used to be called? What was it called? Ryerson. Ryerson yeah. Now it's called what? To uh, Metropolitan. Metropolitan. Okay. Well, she was at Lincoln Alexander Law School of Law, and she just passed the bar. So that's fantastic. And she's living in Toronto now. You know, uh, my ex-wife lives in Windsor. So uh, Alex, her name is, she she runs back to from Toronto to Windsor. Windsor, Windsor so, she, so what kind of law does she want to practice? I don't, I, I don't think she knows yet, but she's just glad to be, you know, to, got, to get through all it, all of that stuff. Yeah, so 
we're pretty pleased about that. And of course, I'm a single dad. I've got another daughter, Indigo, who's 14. Uh, her mum sadly passed away. Uh, her mum was American. So she has relative, Indigo has relatives in the US. And uh, right now she's in Texas. So I, part of my reason for turning up here is to bring Indy to get her down to Detroit so she can catch a plane to Texas with uh, air, airline chaperones, see her granddad. Right. And then I go back, I come back up, you know, into Ontario and, and visit my folks and family and friends and all the rest of it. And, and play some a, gigs. And play a few tunes here and there. But that's not my main reason for coming. That, my main reason is coming is social, not musical. And 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 you even though you said that the masses ignore you, you do come back on a regular basis, and you do have a following. Well, people, yeah, I suppose I do a, a small one or smallish one, but you know, sizes and everything, is it? I mean, uh, but um, yeah. So uh, yeah, uh, people ask me to play. You know, they call. Can you come? I just played the Moonshine Cafe in Oakville. That's a, that's a great gig, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm going up to Halliburton to play and Trenton and uh, just played a couple of house concerts so how does that have me say hey uh, I'm coming to Ontario in August book me gigs uh, is that what I do yeah well how do these gigs pop up no they just pop up they know are you coming again (laughs) because I've been coming here since 1990 or 89 right so they say are you coming this summer and I go yeah they go oh well come and play at the so and so I go, yeah, okay, you know, and uh, so I do. And then somebody will say, oh, we've got, um, uh, just recently somebody said to me, oh, I've got a place up in Tobermory and we want to we want to do a gig up there. You know, will you come and play? And I went, what, what kind of gig is it? Is it a bar, a sports bar? No, I don't want to do that because I don't want to play, you know, noisy bars where people are eating right. ribs and wings and watching baseball and some guy in the corner. That's not my, that's not my thing. But if it's a you know a listening audience, then great, I'll come and play. Uh, so I played in London, I played in Toronto, I played in Windsor, and those were for people who wanted to turn up, listen to what I do, and so that's what I do. You know, that's what I did, and that's what I've been doing. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like even though that's not the purpose of this trip, that you've done quite a few gigs in the last few weeks. I've done a little, yeah, six, five, six, yeah, 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 and I've got two more to do. When do you go back? Um, for, bleh, good question. Second uh, of sept September. Mm-hmm. Arrive on the third, uh, and then school starts on the fifth. And like you know, then I'm in single dad mode, and then I'll go out and play some little shows around the UK if I want to. If I don't want to play, I don't play. If I do, I'm working. I've got a little trio that I work with. SP3, it's called, folks out there. Uh, the harmonica pl- uh, player is uh, plays with the Yardbirds, you know, if you know the Yardbirds. And mm-hmm. uh, before that, he was harmonica player with a very well-known uh, British R&B band called uh, Nine Below Zero. Uh, Billy Boy Miskimmin. So he he tours with the Yardbirds, and when he's not touring with the Yardbirds, he comes and blows his heart with me. And another another guitar player, Lyndon Webb, who's a very, very, very good player. And we go out and we have fun as a little trio. You know, we go and play in rootsy, acoustic-y kind of places. 
Um, and you guys have been together for a while. Um, yeah, with um, uh, there's another guy working with me, Paul Hobday. He Paul has retired to France, um, bought a place in France, and he's not on the road anymore. So um, I kind of replaced him with Lyndon and Billy. Billy was playing with me, me and Paul, um, but now he's playing with me and Lyndon. So uh, that's the way it's worked out. Yeah, and we made we made an album, made two albums, I think. Have we? I don't know. Yeah, we made two. I think we made two. I haven't got any with me, but we've made two albums, and hopefully we'll make another one when somebody um, sponsors us to make another one. So you said you don't write very much. Mm. And how does the writing happen at this point in your career? Do you uh, have to have a project to to work towards, or does it no. is it an ongoing thing? No, it's neither. Um I, I, I did do a, a project a while back with another Payne, Rick Payne, who's a very good player, um, roots, blues, acoustic player. And um, somebody was interested in putting an album together with, with me and Rick. And there was a time limit to do that. And so Rick and I said, um, you know, let's write some songs. So I sat down and and wrote six songs, you know, uh, like doing your homework. You know, oh, I've got to sit here and write a song, but that's not what I usually do. And how long did it take to write those six songs? Well, I only had like two weeks to do it, so I had to do yeah. it real quick. But I, that wouldn't be my usual um, way to do it. Yeah, so I sat down and wrote those songs, and I, after I'd written them, I thought, well, they're not very, they're not very good, because I hadn't agonised over them enough. Uh, but then when I listened to the album back, uh, which is called The Dartmouth Sessions, Steve Payne, Rick Payne, it's a pretty good record. It's an all-acoustic record. Two guitars, that's all. There's no mixes, no overdubs. And we just sat in a, in a mobile studio for a week and let the tape run hmm. and then kind of cut it down to what it was. There's a lot of instrumental stuff on there, but uh, it's, yeah, it's a nice record. Which is easier for you, the instrumental or the singer-songwriter? Oh, uh, singer-songwriter, instrumentals. Well, it depends what it is, you know. If it's, um, it depends on the instrumental, I suppose. No, they're both the same. They're both the same. How, how different is the approach to writing an instrumental versus lyrics? Well, you've got to have a tune for a start. You've got to have an idea of what you want to do, uh, what the, what kind of tune it is, you know, you want to... Uh, whereas if you're writing a song, you, I get an idea on something and then work it round. It's, I don't know how to describe it. It's a bit like candy, what do you call it? Candy floss here? No, you call it sugar. What do you call it? You know, the fairground thing. Yeah, yeah, candy yeah, floss. But, but, you call it candy floss, yeah, right? I think well, so. they call it something else in the US, don't they? Yeah, they do. <laughs> okay. Hey, they do, folks. I know they do. Um, you know, you put the stick in, yeah. don't you? And you wiggle it around and you come out and it just grows. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you come out with the candy floss. Well, that's that's like songwriting process for me. You know, I put my head in the bowl, in the songwriting bowl, <laughs> with a with an idea. What's the idea? Is it the, it is could that be the anything. chorus? Or it could be... It could be anything. It could be peanuts. Okay. It could be, you know, brown socks. 
and burgers. <laughs> or it could be, you know, I love you, babe. Or it's, it's, it's not really, that's pretty rare for me. Or it could be, um, I mean, I've just written a song with no, I haven't got a name for it. But it, the, the ins- inspiration is probably the wrong word. Uh, the thought process that came from, you know, uh, the Russian-Ukraine conflict. And along with that, the tragedy and stupidity of Brexit. Um, and I was so angry about both of them, I just sat down and started writing something. And it's turned into quite a good song. I so think. write something meaning it starts with the lyrics always? Yeah, mostly. I find it hard the other way around. Um, yeah, I've got quite a few tunes that that have come to nothing because I've written the tune first or I've composed the, the melody first and then I can't fit the words to it. Uh, yeah, so it's that's awkward. It has been done, but... You know, it's not a frequent thing, really. So does that mean that when when you write down the lyrics, and I, I presume that they're not finished as you sit down and write them, but do you have an idea of what the melody would be based on the lyrics you write? Uh, a vague idea, yeah. Um, and it all depends on the meter of the song. You know, the rhythm of the song. Um and the flavor of the song as well, and the color, of course, you know, because you know everything has a color. So if you if you've got to fit the right the right chord to the right lyrics, right? I mean, you um, the part of the lyrics on this latest song is um, there's a long dark shadow coming over the hill. It's a devil riding shotgun in a coupe de ville. Well, you couldn't write you couldn't write a t- the tune to go with that it's not going to be there's a long dark shadow coming over the hill la 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 it's not that is it it's like there's a long dark shadow coming over the hill you know it's that kind of so it's that flavor and that of course those two those two uh melody lines uh, have got colors you know you did you see them but no but, no, but you did say that they don't really influence your writing but maybe they do well maybe they do maybe they do uh yeah, possibly. Um, yeah, it's not something I think about, though, which is why it's hard for me to explain. I don't really analyze it that much. Okay, but you said you work on these songs over time, and sometimes it takes a long time. Yeah. Is that, are you road testing them? Are you playing yeah. them live and then changing them as time goes by? What yeah, works well, goes? no, I don't play them live until I'm very confident that, that, that they're all finished. Oh. And then... Nine times out of ten, I change it anyway. Um, I mean, this song in particular, this new song, I don't know what it's called, but I think we're going to call it Angelina because there's a cor- there's a chorus that says "Come away, Angelina." Um, that song had one, two, three, four, five, six kind of not versions, but changes to it until I was happy with it. Now I've I've got to the got to the point where I've put the pen down, you know, and put the uh, put the lyrics to bed and it's done and that's it's not going to change anymore now I don't think so anyway it might do but I don't think it will um, so it's ready to be taken out of the oven and presented on the table for people to you know eat or listen to 
And, and then what do you get out of that? Let's say you play this tomorrow night and you yeah. play it for the first time. Yeah. The audience reacts a certain way, whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. Does that influence anything? Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, if it's a great reception, then you think, well, I, this is it, you know. Uh, but if it, it's not, that doesn't necessarily mean it's not a good song. No, I? it doesn't. But it, it, I, I, what I do is I, I, I think back and think, maybe I could have maybe made that first bit a bit more quieter or louder or change that bit or that bit or that bit. So it doesn't matter. It morphs, you know, it changes shape a little bit depending on the audience reaction but I've played it one, two, three, four times this trip and the reaction's been very good There's just this one song I'm talking about mm-hmm. um, and so, perhaps the whole show pardon? and perhaps the whole show well, yeah but I mean yeah, this, yeah the show's been great um, but this one this particular one song you know i I, you know, because it's been received really well, then I know that it's cooked. You know, I know that you can take the lid off and go, there you go, there it is. But it's taken a while to get there. So what does that mean? Does that mean that now you really want us to record it? Or do you... Yeah, I'd love to record it, but I haven't got the financial wherewithal to do it yet. So if anybody out there wants to give me a million pounds, dollars... (laughs) It's an expensive song. Just go ahead. Uh, Well, yeah. Um, no, but seriously, no, I, I can't do it. I'm a single parent, so I've got to, that's my first gig, really. Um, but I'd like to record the new stuff, and I'd like to get Lyndon and Billy on it, and I'd like to have the time to do it. I haven't always got the time to do it. Being a single parent kind of takes up most of my time. Um, and then I live in a little town called Chepstow, which is... On the English Welsh border, twelve thousand people. It's a very small place, so there aren't many studios around that have, you know, would, that, that I think would be okay to record. I think maybe one or two. Um, but all those factors come into play to to enable me to um, go out and do this thing, you know. And then you know you're going to get the design. And the other thing is, you know, do people listen to CDs anymore. What, what are they listening to? Or do you put them yeah, on? Yeah. Do they? No, I, I know. I do, but most yeah. people don't. Most people don't, do they? So what do you do? I don't know what you do now. Do, do, should, you, should you press it in vinyl? Should you press it in CD? Should you press it in, or put it on Spotify? You know, I wouldn't use Spotify. Uh, I don't know what to do, really. Right. You know, I'm a bit of a dinosaur like that. But how do you think... I mean, obviously, you're a singer, songwriter, a musician. Mm-hmm. You write. Whether... For whatever reason, you will continue to write, right? Like it's not like you you sit there and go, oh, I don't know if people buy CDs, therefore I'm not going to write another. No, song. no. But what I'm saying is, when you finish doing it, what do you do with it then? Right. You know. Uh, and the other the other thing is, uh, certain places, certain songs won't work, and certain times, certain songs won't work. If you're at a show. And it's a quite an upbeat affair. You don't want to suddenly go stick in a really doomy tune, you know, because that changes the whole colour of the situation, doesn't it? Right. So you've got to stick with it. So I never write a set list, for instance, because they don't work. Because you've got to read the room, read the situation, and you've got you you should have 
a big list of songs in your head. Well, I don't have a big list, but I've got a list. And I pick ones out that will fit the time and the mood of the concert. So something like Angelina, this song I was talking about, probably wouldn't go in a situation where people were dancing about, you know, drinking champagne, uh, taking their clothes off and dancing on the ceiling. That probably wouldn't work because it's a listening song. So you have to... um, Cut your cloth accordingly, I think. How quickly do you know the audience? How, how quickly does it take you to realize what, how to read the audience? Yeah, not long, but sometimes that changes halfway through. And that can happen because song selection has something to do with that. Um, you don't want to make it too downbeat and you don't want to make it too upbeat. You know, if you've got downbeat songs you want to do and upbeat songs you want to do, you've got to kind of mix them up uh, and get the audience, you know, in a frame of mind where they're able to sort of digest both of those both of those things. Um, and, it, you know, I like to talk to people on, on, when I'm on stage. Sometimes I talk too much, I think, but... Um, you know, have a conversation, you know. I mean, I always say to people, how's it going? You know, hello, anybody out there? You know, free drinks for anybody? You know, and then they all perk up and say, you know, yes. Um, But I presume the the power of music is such that you can change that room with whatever song you play next. Yeah. For the better or for the worse. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. You can can change it, you can change it, you know, you know, from good to bad. Or bad to good. Uh, you've got to be wary of that. I, I know you've been doing this for many years. So yeah. You probably know what to do, what not to do. But yeah. does it still surprise you at all? Do things happen yeah. that might surprise you? You pick a song and all of a sudden you realize, oh, that was not right. Or Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and I've been known in the past just to stop in the middle and go, I'm going to stop this because it's not. This is... <laughs> It's not happening. I'll try a different one. You know? <laughs> but it's not happening for you or for the audience? Well, f- f- both. I can see that that isn't right for the room or the concert, and so it's not right for me. So then it has to change, you know. Wow. Yeah. I'm not going to merrily go on my way and sort of, <laughs> you know, keep going through to the bitter end to hope that it comes out okay I'm just going to stop and go you know what this is I'm going to just start again (laughs) do something else but every night is different like is there an arc to your song performing pattern in the way that you always want to end a certain way you always want to mellow it down in the middle or wherever no I want to end with people thinking you know that was a really good song let's have some more there are occasions when I've actually tried to sort of dampen it down at the end so people go okay this is the last one go home you know (laughs) don't shout for more because I want to go and have a beer in the dressing room or something you know but um yeah that's not so common but usually you want it to end on a high Uh, it's always good to start off on a high-ish note. You can't start too too high because you've got to keep that up all the way through. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty hard to do. 
So you gotta you gotta read it, and you know it, it's a wave, isn't it? Oh, see, I'm shapes now as well as colours, so it's um, it's getting three dimensional. Yeah, we're getting all kind of fancy here, but um, yeah, you've got to read the room and make sure that you balance it out. It's a balancing act, you know. It's a trapeze act. One of my favorite songs of yours is Northern Town. Yeah, and I just think it's such a beautiful song. Where does that come into the arc of your performance? That's a... Uh, I don't play that very often, to be honest. Really? No. Um, it takes a certain mood to play that song. The last time you probably heard it was in that garden. We did a garden concert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that was a sit-down listening to it. It's very, 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 very quiet. And you... You know, unless I've got that, I um, I won't play that song because it's uh, otherwise it's wasted. It's you know it goes over the top of their heads. So you've got to be in a room or a concert or a situation to be able to do that. Uh, also, it's in a tuning, so you've got to take the time to take the guitar and retune the damn thing, and then you you know. Right. Uh, and of course, when you're tuning the guitar, you th- it. It feels to me like hours and hours you're tuning it up for, whereas in fact it's only you know minutes. And this is when you're talking and distracting yeah. them. Yeah, there's yeah, but you know there's like people you know get a bit restless. Well, he's tuning the damn guitar. Who's he think he is? <laughs> uh, unless you're you know like um, unless I have one guitar that's already tuned, but then when you pick that guitar up, it's going to sound different than the one you're playing. Uh, it's complicated. But um, yeah, uh, in a in a folk club situation, Northern Town would be uh, a good song to play. Uh, it's it's quite a popular tune. People seem to like it. Yeah. No, oh, it's a beautiful tune. Um, how much are you doing acoustic versus electric these days? Oh, ninety percent acoustic, maybe ten percent electric. That's it, yeah. And that's just determined on... Is it more because you're asked to do electric? It's not your call? Uh, well, I don't go out and play electric unless I've got somebody to play with. Right. Well, who, who wants me to, to play some slide or some lead guitar or, or whatever. Um, so most of my work is acoustic. Um, if I'm recording solo, which if I do record solo, I may put some electric guitar on and I would play that myself I played a gig recently in Bristol with a couple of guys who wanted me to play electric and I really enjoyed it because I hadn't played it for quite a while um, and, and when you don't play it for a while and somebody says hey can you come and bring your electric do you have to warm up for days or do you just show up I, I just show up <laughs> I just show up though for the best <laughs> no <laughs> I'm that good. I just show up and play with your eyes closed. <laughs> yeah, with my, oh yeah, of course, my eyes closed. Yeah, and a and a weird look on my face, <laughs> guitar face, like a bulldog chewing a wasp and thrusting your pelvis. <laughs> but it just comes to you, like it's yeah, yeah. I'm a guitar player. I'm a natural guitar player. I don't play. I don't know any. I don't play scales. I never learned any scales. I know what they are, but I don't. I see patterns on the fretboard, um, 
and I kind of just know instinctively that that note will fit with that note. So that's what happens with that. How much practice happens? Practice? Yeah. Really none now. I don't practice that much at all. I don't play at home a lot. I might do. Sometimes I might sit down and have a glass of wine and pick up the guitar. But usually, you know, I haven't got time. Or if I'm doing that, suddenly I'll get, Dad, can I have a salad? And I go, oh, God, okay, hang on. I'll be right with you, honey. <laughs> so um, I don't get a lot of time to... Um, to practice as such uh, I kind of sometimes I, uh, if I'm writing a tune I'll spend half an hour in the morning if, when, when I've got like time to sit down and sort of scrub around it and see if that'll certain things will work or certain things won't work you know uh, that's the way it works with me whereas previously when I was a kid I used to play all the time yeah, I played till my fingers bled you know but that's what you've got to do if you want to learn your instrument that's what you've got to do you can't just you know learn it learn your scales and then go out and play you've got to because it all sounds different when you're on stage anyway as soon as you're, soon as you're in front of an audience and a, uh, and you plug the guitar in or, or not plugged it in and you're up against a mic it also depends how you're sitting you know I like to sit on a chair with my feet on the floor you know, I turned up at a gig last Saturday at the supermarket in Kensington Market, and the sound guy very kindly had put a stool on the on the stage. You know, there's your microphone, and there's there's your folk singer's stool. There it is, right there. There's your folk singer's stool. I said, I don't want that stool. Oh, well, which, what stool do you want? I said, I just want a chair. You want a chair? Oh yeah, you know, a chair. <laughs> so I want to sit on a chair. Okay, sit on a chair. But they thought that was weird. You know, that's the way it is. Like you've got to be balanced. The thing's got to be balanced in your in your hands, otherwise you can't play properly. You know. And right. if I'm on a stool, I, you know, you've got no balance. And it, of course, if you've got a pedal as well, sometimes I use a little delay pedal or a um, um, equalizer or something. You can't reach the damn thing. You know, you've got to keep doing this. You know, and then you fall off the stool and then spill your beer and then the gig's over. I get the impression that there was a time before you placed, started Play Slide and then since then. Well, how did the slide come into your your musical thing? Um, how did it come in? Um, don't know. It just came in because I saw people playing it. Um, and I thought, well, that sounds good. I'll try that. Um, yeah, let's do a bit of Raikuda and... Um, Different, different folks. Uh, and playing in the folk clubs, I saw some people playing slide guitar, and that was interesting. So I had a go at it, just because I'd seen somebody play it. I thought I'd have a go at it. Well, that's a different thing altogether. You've got to be very precise when you're playing slide. And the guitar, you can't just pick up any old guitar and play slide. If the action's too low, it doesn't work. The action's too high, it's probably okay. But then again, you've got to. You know, and there's different tunings, and mm-hmm. you know, it's it's quite an evolved thing, and it's also limiting to a certain extent. I I'm I can play slide and lead and chords at the same time, not just bottleneck. So that helps, 
but if you've got a slide on one finger, it you know you've got that fingers out the way then. Um, yeah, it's a different technique, really. Uh, interesting sound, but different technique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Brexit. Yeah. How does that affect you as a musician yeah. working out of the yeah, UK? Yeah, Brexit. Yeah, and I hear that word, I want to throw up. It's really stupid, idiotic, um, suicidal politically event. Um, I still play in Europe. Because you tour Germany and France and Belgium. Yeah, I've just been to Holland twice this year. Um, And I'm due to go to Germany in October. Um, But for touring bands, it's difficult if the authorities want to be uh, awkward, might be the word, I'm not sure whereby all the equipment has to be uh, signed and looked at and serial numbers and it's written down. There's a thing called a carnet form which they have to fill out. Whereas when I tour, I just, me and a guitar basically, and a bag. Uh, and so and you're not affected in that way? I'm not you? affected that in that way. And I can still play. I don't need a work permit to play in Europe, or at least in Holland, Germany. Um, the European Union, 27 countries, I think 22 of them, somebody will put me right on this, but the Musicians' Union have struck a deal with, to say that, um, you know, you can go over and play. But you still have to declare all your instrument, your you know, equipment, which is a pain in the ass, basically. Um but I don't take any with me, so I just take a guitar and a bag, maybe a little amp, that's it. Um, yeah, but I mean, Brexit itself is a, it was it totally idiotic, stupid, and um, you know, a con, basically, from start to finish. Don't get me started. <laughs> but realistically, it doesn't affect you personally. No, not personally, because I don't play. I don't go over there to play. You, you, I don't tour for months on end. You mean you? you uh, before Brexit, I was European, mm-hmm. and I was able to live, work, uh, in twenty-seven countries without any paperwork, no. freedom of movement. Now I'm not, so I can only go for nine weeks. I think it is three months, and then I have to leave or. You, whatever uh, and there's no uh, freedom of movement you know has gone long term um, but I you know I, I only do two three weeks at a time um, I, I only I like of course I only play when I can when my daughter's at, on school holidays you know, when she's in school I can't go because I've got to get her to school Um does that mean you take her on tour with you? Uh, she has been, but now she's 14. Um, she'll stay at home and I'll get somebody to sit, you know, stay with her. Um, but Brexit, yeah, hasn't changed me a lot, but it has changed a lot of bands that toured for a living in Europe, you know, f- uh, frequently. Um, it's, it's hurt them a lot, yeah. 
and it should be, you know, changed. Can it though? Is that even any thought? No, that? I don't think it will. I don't think that that. Uh, I mean, the you know the uh, the 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 referendum turned out forty eight fifty two in favour of uh, leaving. So four percent of people, you know, four uh, percent majority. Um, but it screwed up a lot of, you know, the Europeans weren't very happy about it, you know, uh, and I think they'll. They would they would have Britain back, but uh, it, it won't be as easy as that mm-hmm. now. Um, but I don't, I don't want to get into politics. But now certain people have left the uh, stage. Boris, um, we won't mention any names. No, mention any names, <laughs> Boris. And uh, you know now that he's gone. Well, he's gone for now. I don't know if he'll be back. I hope not. Um, People are uh, suddenly, you know, waking up to the fact that it was a complete, you know, disaster. And they were conned into thinking it was going to be something when it wasn't. And, you know, regretfully, that's what's happened. That's it. It's also interesting because of the pandemic that it kind of was a distraction. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it just seemed like the Brexit happened and then the pandemic happened. Yeah. And and so the reaction, I don't know, just seemed to me like that became the bigger thing, and then Austin Brexit was in the background, and now people yeah, realize of that. course, yeah, of course they, you know, and a lot of the uh, problems within the UK now, uh, they say, you know, the politicians pro Brexit, Brexiteers, they're like musketeers, and then Brexiteers, honey, they're not as cute as that. I'd say, you know, it's not because of Brexit, it's because of the pandemic, you know, which is bullshit. You know, it might be a little bit both, but, I mean, it's not just the pandemic. It's Brexit because, you know, they've, you know, they've screwed up the, the you know, people coming from Europe to work in Britain and they can't do it anymore. You know, mm-hmm. They need them, you know, need them to pick the fruit in the, in the fields and the, and the vegetables, you know, the things, vegetables are rotten in the fields. And, you know, people to drive the lorries and, you know, my dentist was Romanian and my, you know, then I go out and have a Greek meal and I drink German beer, you know, and people are going, oh, Europe, Europe, and I'm so stupid, it's been so stupid, don't get me started on that. <laughs> How did the pandemic affect you? The pandemic didn't affect me that much, except for my kid was at home. Um, I didn't work, of course, there was no, there was no where to play uh, I quite liked the, the fact that the streets were empty and I could hear the birds singing again they said took, within about two ten days the, the, all the birds in the hedgerows were singing it was amazing you know we would we would go out me and Indigo would go out walking you know we'd walk a couple of miles a day around the streets you know um, just get some exercise with no traffic. Wow, it's amazing. You know, it's like the end of the world. Mm-hmm. But it, quite good, really. No traffic fumes, no noise. You know, it was great in that way. In other ways, it wasn't so great, of course, you know. But, um, you know, it had, its, it had its upsides as well as its downsides. But musically, it didn't... It was a non, non-event, you know. Nobody was, nobody was playing anywhere. Did it? Did you become more creative or less creative? Um, probably more. 
because I had more time. Uh, and it was quieter, you know. Yeah, I sat down and played quite a, quite a lot more guitar, I think, during that time. Uh, now it seems a bit more, you know, hurly-burly things going on. I haven't got time to do it, or I just don't want to do it, or I've got to go and do something else. But the pandemic was, you know, it was like a, you know, when, it, you know, the terrible thing, COVID, but I mean... Um, it wasn't it was a it was a time you it was a lot of reflection going on i think during that time people were sat back thinking mm, what what's going on here then so music creatively wise it was um yeah it was quite good um and of course people wrote songs about the pandemic but i mean i didn't write <laughs> <laughs> songs about the pandemic do you think it changed you musically in any way no no not at all no no, not the pandemic. Um, well, Brexit hasn't either, except for that one that one tune, Angelina, which has got Brexit in it. It doesn't. It's not. I don't mention Brexit in it, but it, that's there is a, a nod towards Brexit in it. Um, so, so Brexit actually did something quite good. You know, <laughs> it gave me three lines of a song or four lines of a song. You know, so that was quite good. Well, Steve, thank you so much for doing this. It's okay. Yeah, good to see you again. It's been a while. Yeah. Let me finish with one question. Yeah. One more question. Um, tell me that little kid who wanted to be that guitarist and and thrust his pelvis with his guitar and make friendly <laughs> <Thrust> faces <his> <laughs> to who you are today and, and basically the musical journey you've taken. When you look back on it, how do you look back on this? Um... How do I look back on it? With uh, I look back on it with a smile and uh, um, probably some missed opportunities. Uh, but I look, I look back on it as uh, a good thing. You know, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the journey, and it ain't over yet. So that's uh, for sure. Yeah. Thanks again. All right, man.